Okay, let's pray. Father, we just pray in Jesus' name. We pray you open up your word to us. Your word is life, and you are your word. Give us understanding. Holy Spirit, I pray especially this morning. Lead us into all truth. In Jesus' name. Okay, a sure word of prophecy. Which is what the Bible says of itself. And we are we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. The Bible speaks of itself as a sure word of prophecy. I believe that all the forth-telling things that are going to happen in the earth have already been spoken of in the Bible. And we look into that to understand. So we have these words that a lot of people don't want to talk about. Oh, brother, you're going to start with that. A sure word of prophecy. In the Bible, ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is not encouraged. By the fear of the Lord is the knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So I'm going to probably challenge a few people. And I think this is my real gift. My people perish for want of knowledge. Okay, what's it say? So ignorance is not bliss. Lots of catchphrases we use. Follow your heart. You ever hear that in a movie? How many times do you hear that in a movie? Just have to follow your heart. The Bible's like, no. <clears throat> That's why Bob Dylan said, I don't know which is worse, doing your own thing or just trying to be cool. Next frame, please. Okay, you gotta, you gotta keep up with me. Okay, thank you. We are told to watch and pray, right? We are told to watch and pray, but what are we watching for? In Luke 1944, he comes, looks over Jerusalem, and he says, I would have gathered you together, how I would have gathered you, but you would not have it, because why you did not recognize this, your day of visitation. And I'm amazed that as Christians in the body of Christ today, we think that we're different than the Jewish people were then. No, we are them. Because why? Because we're human. What's the difference between a Jew and a Gentile? History. We all came from one DNA. No, I wasn't through with that. We are watching for the time of his visitation as demonstrated by his divine appointments. So we're going to talk about the appointments of God. Next frame. Leviticus 23.2. Oh, man, what do you do in the Old Testament? Aren't we like New Testament believers? Isn't that for like Jewish people? 
Speak to the children of Israel, say to them the feasts, appointments of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. These are my feasts. So the Lord says, these are my feasts. And the word feast, next frame, is a terrible translation, I think. The word there is actually moedim, or moed, in the Hebrew, and it means appointed time. So when the Lord says, these are my appointments, so the Lord has a daytimer. And he's telling us, on this day, at some time in the future, I'm going to do this. And I want, to you, I want you to holy convocate. What? That sounds wrong. Holy a convocation is a rehearsal. I want you to rehearse this every year so that when the real thing comes, you understand that this is that, which the prophet spoke of. We can look at the Bible and know what is going to happen. Who were the sons of who that knew the signs of the times so they could understand? Sons of Issachar. Knowledge of the appointed times is critical to understanding of events taking place in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation will not make much sense at all unless you have a thorough background of the book of Leviticus. You're like, what? Revelation is at the end of the Bible. Leviticus is like, isn't that the law of Moses thing? Chuck Messer said, you first, to understand Revelation, you really need to study Leviticus. And then study the whole Bible and then study the book of Revelation. Because those, these are all appointments. These are numerics. These are language of symbolism. These are language of numbers. There are many languages in the Bible. There's figurative language. There's numerical language. There's language of symbols. There is literal, literal language. Okay, next. This is David building the temple. I will build a temple for the name of the Lord my God to dedicate it to him on the Sabbaths, on the new moons, and on the set appointments of the Lord. That's actually what it says. It's actually what David wrote. On the set appointments of the Lord. These are appointments. So the word feast, there's words in the Old Testament that just are, I think, for us don't work very well. One is law and one is feasts. Because when we think of feasts, we think of food. Amen. At least I do. We don't think of an appointment. And some of these appointments don't necessarily have food. You know what I mean? <clears throat> Six days shall you work. And I just wanted to point this out. The seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. The others were holy convocations. They were moadines. But when it comes to the Sabbath, it's a holy rehearsal, but not so much an appointment. Do you know why that is? The Sabbath day in the Book of Moses, in the Ten Commandments, is to be perpetual. But it's our understanding of what the Sabbath day is. The Sabbath day is, if any man come to me and labor, I will give you rest. The Sabbath is abiding in him. The Sabbath is there remains no for rest for the people of God, and they which have entered into that rest have ceased. It's a holy rehearsal. It was a rehearsal for a way of life. It was a rehearsal for letting go and letting God. Is there wisdom in taking a day off once a week? Of course there is. 
But the Sabbath is here in Leviticus 23.3, a holy convocation. It's a rehearsal. So if you take a Sabbath day, you rehearse, but you ponder the way of life for every day. Does that make sense? It's John 15, 15. Anyway, okay. Okay, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all things that I said to you. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. So let's just pray and ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning, be our teacher and bring your truth. Use your word and Holy Spirit, confirm your word so that we may know your ways in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this is just a point of symbolism and languages. You're thinking, what's that got to do with the Moeds? This is a chapter in the Bible. This is a complete chapter. After him, Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pyronothite judged Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 young donkeys. He judged Israel for eight years. What? Why? Redundant? It's just the language, the symbolism of names, Abdon, means to serve. Hillel is son of praise, so he's a server, the son of praise. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons, 70, the number of government who rode on 70 young donkeys. Donkey is a picture of servitude. Jesus came riding in a donkey. The Son of Man came to serve. He didn't come to be ministered to, but to minister. He came to serve. So this judge in Israel is telling us he's a good guy. And the numerics of eight is new creation. That he judged Israel. So I'm just saying that there are languages in the Bible that we can't really overlook. Okay. Numbers, also in the days of your gladness, in your appointed feasts, and at the beginning of your months, divine appointments. Some of these are, I'm just showing you, there's a lot of scripture. I need a hand signal like that when you, to change, so I don't sound. Okay, now we're going to talk about the feast of Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and weeks. These are the spring feasts, right? Now, how many of you know that Jesus fulfilled these prophetically on the particular day of? To the minute. He was the Passover lamb. We put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of our heart. 
He sees the blood of the Lamb. What is our claim to fame? The blood of the Lamb. The angel of death passes over. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Men have loved darkness. But we have the blood of the Lamb. He was... He was the unleavened bread, the matzah. It's called the Feast of Matzah, the Feast of Pesach. First fruits is uh, Havakirim. Yom Havakirim, something like that. How's that go? Yeah. And then the Shavuot or the Pentecost. These are the spring feasts. The church was born at the Feast of Pentecost. So the Passover, you can just look at those. I mean, there's so many things. Not one of his bones is broken. Why is that? Because it's his blood, pure blood, blood that would be offered on the sacrifice in heaven, in the tabernacle in heaven. He would sprinkle his blood once, and then he would sit down in that tabernacle. He would not work. Once and for all. He was a priest that lives forever. He sprinkled his blood in the heavenly tabernacle. Our sins were forgiven. His bones, where does blood produced in the body? In the marrow. So not one of his bones was broken was to protect the blood. And the Romans didn't break his bones. Okay, next. Okay, new creation. This is the first fruits. We have Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. He rose from the dead on the first day of the week. He rose from the dead on the first fruits. And there's a confusion of unleavened bread. The Passover is a day, unleavened bread is a week. And first fruits is within that. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So all that picture of being the firstborn of the new creation is all about this prophetic fulfillment that Jesus accomplished. So, okay, go. Again, Revelation 33 says, hold fast and repent or I will come to you as a thief and you will not know what hour. Thessalonians says, you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction. He comes as a thief in the night, not to those who are watching. He later in that portion, he says, for you are children of the day, not children of the night. He says to the church that is not watching that he comes as a thief in the night. But to Philadelphia, he gives them a promise to spare them from the hour of judgment coming on the earth. Okay. All of this is just to lay a foundation that we're just going to acknowledge that we believe that Jesus fulfilled the spring feast prophetically. 
Okay. The first appointment in the fall holidays on the Jewish calendar is trumpets. On the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. What is a convocation? It's a rehearsal. Okay. Now these are just scriptures, and I know we have all kinds of debate about this stuff. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and he, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now the next portion of scriptures I'm just going to read that most people believe, people that study this stuff, are, these are aspects of the blowing of trumpets. He read Reb, uh, Joel 2.15. That is the prophetic fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets. That's the actual day being fulfilled, and Joel is prophesying of it. It's not the rehearsal. It's the fulfillment of it. Right, Rand? <clears throat> okay. I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Revelation 3. This is the promise to Philadelphia. But Sardis, he says, now in the book of Revelation, there's seven churches, right? Five churches the Lord does not approve of. And two, he very much approves of them. So, it's a, you could call it a demographic of human nature. Because as humans, God says, well, this is how, how I want you to live. And God says, eh. And we say, God makes us in our image. God makes us in his image. And we say, yeah. We try to make God in our image. We go, okay, Lord. Yeah, I don't really like that. That doesn't work for me. So this relativism of truth is alive and well in the world. You know, what is your truth? What's... Annoying is that that's very much as well in the church. Like, yeah, I'm not sure it says that. I'm not sure it says what it plainly says. Well, it doesn't mean that. I mean, because we're human. And if there's something in the... Is there anything in the Bible we don't like? I'll raise my hand first. There's things I don't understand that I go, oh boy. I take the medicine and I read through it and I go, Lord, show me. Because I'm thinking that you're smarter than me and you have a reason for doing what you did and how you set up life and death and eternity and so on and so forth. However, can we talk about this? We all have that. But we don't just throw it out. Okay, Sardis. But Sardis, he says, and they're... They're the sleepy church, as Keith would say, asleep in the light. Keith Green, I will come as a thief, and you will not know what hour. But to Philadelphia, he promises to keep them from that hour. Now, this is revelation. I think sometimes it's, it's healthy to respect what the Lord is doing in the earth. I remember talking to someone about gentle Jesus, meek and mild, and he never gives up on us. Well, I don't th he doesn't give up on us, but if we give up on him, he's very clear 
those that deny me before men, I will deny before my Father in heaven. These are things we don't like to think about, right? Or many will come to me on that day saying, Lord, Lord, did we not do this and this and this and this? And the Lord will say, I don't, I don't know you. Isn't that kind of, that's, that's like, whoa. My sheep hear my voice. Can you lose your salvation? Not if you're saved. No, not if you're saved. And so many of us, what happens is when you, when I, if I talk like this, the people that are like trying always feel like, oh, well, is there something in me? Is it I, Lord? Well, that means your conscience is alive and well and you're trying to listen to the Lord and you know you're not perfect. There's no condemnation in Christ. Um, the people that it doesn't affect at all. You know, someone called in to the radio station, Chuck Smith, I was listening to Chuck Smith one day and this guy called in and he, he, Chuck was teaching through that Hebrews portion of, you know, the unpardonable sin. You know, I've committed the unpardonable sin. Guy goes, I, I'm afraid I've committed the unpardonable sin. Uh, you know, I feel like, you know, maybe I've, you know, done that sin. And he goes, no, you haven't. Just right out of, just right out of, no, you haven't. I, I haven't? He goes, if you, if you had, you wouldn't know it and you wouldn't care. You wouldn't be calling in. You, you know, your response to the Holy Spirit is alive and well. So this guy went away happy. <laughs> okay, now here's an interesting day. This is the thing we're going to talk about. We're going to, for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about the prophetic implications, hopefully. You know, and whenever I do this sort of thing, people go, oh, you're in return to Torah, you're a lawgiver and all that stuff. No, I'm a Galatians freedom fighter who believes in reading the Old Testament because there's more of Jesus in the Old Testament than in the New because it's longer. And the prophecy, Jesus said from the time of John the Baptist until now, the law and the prophets prophesy. What is the law most of all? It's a prophecy. It's an indication of what he would accomplish. And he has not yet completed the law. Has he fulfilled? He's fulfilled part of the law. But the second coming is where he fulfills. And the second coming isn't going to be a one-day event. There's all kinds of different things going on. But what we need to do is look at what the scriptures say. Um... Anybody ever follow, you know, Mount Sinai is in the Sinai Peninsula, and you know, for thousands of years, people have gone there to whatever, on a pilgrimage, and try to get close to Moses and the law, and so on and so forth, except that, and tradition has held it there on the Sinai Peninsula, and for thousands of years, it says in the book of Galatians, it's not in the Sinai Peninsula, it's not in Egypt, it's in Arabia. Well, we've bypassed tradition for thousands of years. And I'm, I think still today, probably the vast 95% of Christianity believes that Mount Sinai is there in Egypt. When the Bible plainly says, and there are people who just in the last 30 years have researched it and discovered a mountain with lots of artifacts in Arabia. 
So the power of tradition is, is uh, the power of paradigm. Reinforced habitual thinking becomes your perception of truth, whether it's true or not. You know, you grow up prejudiced because your daddy was prejudiced. You, you were seven, eight, nine, ten. Did you have any uh, colored friends? No. Then you go to the war and you have a buddy that saves your life and, oh, he's not the same color you are. Changes your thinking in a dramatic way. You know that <clears throat> Yom Teruah, these are different aspects or description of the Feast of Trumpets. The first, now, the Jews call it Rosh Hashanah. It just means the head of the year, but technically it is the appointment of trumpets. Because on that particular day, in some time in history, something radical is going to happen. And God wants us to understand it so that when it does, we're ready. This is part of our watching. Yom Teruah means the blowing of the trumpet. But it also, these are things that have been attributed to it, the day of shouting, a day of blowing, a day of trumpets, a day of alarm, a day of opening the books, or the hidden day, as in Philadelphia. You guys keeping with me? You're not bored yet. Revelation 4.1. I say this is just like Joel 2.15. This is another aspect of Joel 2.15. Of course, I've had heated fellowship. And it doesn't matter. You know, these things, we don't have to live by these things, but it's important to be able to watch. Look at the terminology. A door was standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying... Come up here. I have set before you an open door to the church of Philadelphia. I will keep you from the hour of trial. What does all that stuff mean? Is it just symbolism? Is it just spiritual symbolism? This is out of Zephaniah. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That is a day of wrath and a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation, desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and the alarm. <clears throat> okay. This is kind of where I remember Crosby said this thing. He goes, you know, there are happy verses in the Bible. <laughs> And I said, they're all happy verses. The truth sets us free. And we go, well, this is no fun. Yes, it is, because we're going to go home. Whether we're alive or dead, when will that be? I don't know when it is exactly going to be, but it's going to happen. You know, did the Holy Spirit get poured out? Was there a mighty wind? Were there just crazy miracles? Did Jesus rise from the dead? And it was rumored all about Israel. Did the dead saints seen around Jerusalem? The earth shook. The sky was dark at noon. Those are radical things. Well, this is going to be radical. But it's really going to happen. That's my point. At the first advent, radical things happened. 
at the second advent, radical things are going to happen. And it's not going to be hidden from those who are watching. I remember asking this question, does the Lord want us to know the future? This is the first time I started teaching all this stuff. And uh, most people said no. Because we've sort of been conditioned by that verse that says, no man knows the day or the hour. Um, but then all the verses in the Bible, part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to tell us things to come. So I don't think it's going to be a secret. I think the man of perdition will be revealed. I remember one year I was playing at a Calvary Chapel church, and they were all excited about something. The Lord was coming back, and he was going to come back this fall. And I was playing in August, and of course the fall feasts are in September, so he, the Lord was going to maybe come back this year because all these things were falling in place. And I was like, what? And I could just calmly, plainly say, no, he's not. They're like, what? No, because the man of, do you know who the man of perdition is? I don't. I mean, just one simple indicator, do you know how the, you know? No, he's not. You just, I mean, even your spirit's like, ah, something about this is off. Remember 2000? The end of the world's coming because the computers are going to destroy everything. This guy, yeah. I mean, the world's going to end for the last... Granted, the last hundred years have been, you know, the war to end all wars, except we had another one 20 years later, just like it. Um, been going on for over a hundred years, unfortunately. But we certainly, you could say, the signs of the times, but the times that we want to look at are not as much world events as they are the appointments. And the plain indicators that Paul talks about. And I don't believe that we're appointed to wrath. I mean, if all those that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But, and God's judgment is his mercy. Some people are more thick-headed than others, right? Some people, you know, Mary, an angel visits her and she's like, oh. And she writes this beautiful song. He doesn't have to argue with her. She's just sensitive to the Lord. She's just, okay. Paul, the Lord gets a big two-by-four, whack! Knocks him off his horse. <laughs> Blinds him for three days. Is that a two-by-four? <laughs> what did you think it was? I'm going with... I think it's an... It could have been a big brick, yeah. So different people are different. However, God saw in Paul that Paul, with enough persuasion. So God's judgment is his mercy. The, the greatest revival in history is the time of Jacob's trouble. I mean, it just flat out says it in Revelation. People used to think, well, if you don't get raptured, you're, there's no other chance. You can't be saved. Well, the, large, the only place in the Bible that I know of where it says a multitude more that could be numbered is in that time period. And these are, the angel tells him, so we have it on good authority. The angel tells John, these are the tribulation saints. These are the people that came to know Jesus during the great tribulation. Anyway, okay. Zephaniah, again, gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together before the decree is issued, or the day passes like chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you. Seek the Lord. It may be well with you. 
that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. And we go, well, that, that doesn't fit with the Jesus that I know. You know there's a, that quiet half hour in heaven? You know what's going on? And John says he wept for there was no one worthy to open the seals. You know when justice is not served, how grievous it is? When a murderer, you know he murdered and he gets off. How grievous that is. But there has to be somebody worthy to pass judgment. So all the atrocities that happen have happened in the earth. Somebody has to be worthy of the judgments to execute. Someone who is all merciful and yet just. Who has never sinned, but is completely righteous to execute judgment. And that John weeps because there is no one. If you've lived your life trying to serve Jesus and... You know, bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. And we're not to be envious of evildoers, but quite often they get away with a lot of stuff. And it's, it's grievous. It's vexing. Well, Paul weeps because it's the thought of maybe justice will not be served and that darkness will prevail. It's just that moment of, and yet the Lamb of God was found worthy to open the seals. Um, Rand read this scripture this morning already. So, Blow the trumpet of Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and the nursing babes, let the bridegroom come, go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. I love this scripture in Isaiah 26. See, this is the promise to all that believe. This is, this is the same thing as Philadelphia. It's identical. It's just written in a different time period. Come, my people, enter your chamber and shut your door behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. In that day, the Lord, with his severe sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan, the flaying serpent. Have you ever been in a situation where you know, I struggle to do the right thing in my business and people who are cheating, stealing, selling drugs in their auto body business or whatever, making fistfuls of money over and over. Have you ever just like for a moment thought, you know, man, how does that work? I struggle to do the right thing, have exercised my conscience before God and toward men. And then you know of people that get away with stuff and they seem to just get away with it for a long time. Huh? Yeah, Christians. Well, it's most grievous when Christians do it. Quote, unquote, Christians. I consider them to be in the category of the five churches that the Lord is saying, eh, eh, no. <clears throat> so God is just. And the fear that we have of him, the healthy respect, 
is that the order of life brings life. His order is in interest of life. His rules of engagement for how we should then live is not because he's like a bummer and a party buzz killer. It's because he wants life for us. <coughs> and a clean conscience brings confidence and power, doesn't it? Yeah. Makes you walk tall. Makes you feel good about being alive and about your relationships. A conscience that is violated makes you feel kind of like nobody's even looking and you're going, wow, I hope nobody notices. Your dead shall live. See, that's what we're about. Together with my dead body, they shall rise, awake and sing. You dwell in the dust. I feel like I'm in the dust sometimes. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of a archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Is that dramatic? That's like, so who invented the roller coaster? You know, <laughs> who invented the ride? It's going to be better than that. It's actually going to be just plain fun. I don't know how fast will we go. Do I want to be alive when it happens or do I want to be dead? Which will be more of a rush? Bursting out of the grave or just like... Yeah, he's not the God of the dead, he's the God of the living. So whatever, the Lord is dramatic. How about, how about when the Lord, after the 40 days, 50 days on earth, and he's like, he's talking to them. Now go preach the gospel in all the world. He that believes and baptized shall be saved. Teach men to observe what I have commanded you. But first wait and tarry in Jerusalem till I send you the Holy Spirit. And he's talking. I think it was one message. I think it was all in that message. And he's talking, my disciples. And he floats away. <laughs> he's floating away. He's like, mm. he doesn't go, and he's gone. He's like, mm. I mean, that is good TV. <laughs> I mean, so God, he, he's exciting. He likes to get us thrilled. He likes to give us the goosebumps. He wants us to know. He doesn't want us to be in the darkness. Ignorance is not bliss. These are real things that are going to happen. So we don't need to be afraid of looking into them. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I don't want to know. Oh, don't start that again. I, this is actually, I'm, we brought up some things at a pastor's conference, which I was surprised. I didn't think that. I thought we were having a discussion. It's like, oh, brother, you're one of those guys. I didn't know I was until that moment. <clears throat> okay, next verse. That's it? Okay. So, back there, here's an interesting thing that we're going to talk about next week on the first what we're doing is establishing the idea that Jesus rose, he, he fulfilled all the spring feasts. Does anybody know of any evidence where the Lord has fulfilled the fall feasts prophetically? So that's what we're going to look at. So most likely, 
what his whatever, rapture, whatever you want to call it, or the glorious appearing, or when he comes to tabernacle with men, all these different things are going to happen. The second coming is not a one-day event. It's going to be a process where he's actually going to be dealing with his enemies. And in a sense, he's going to be throwing, um, he's going to be vacating the premises. The, the uh, guys that aren't paying their rent are going to be, um, what's, what's, what do you say in, in real estate? Evicted. Yeah, the ones that aren't paying their rent and trying to steal the vineyard are going to be evicted. And that's going to be part of a process. The courts. The courts. Yeah. But one of the things I want to challenge us with to ponder is, and you can look into this, is that the phrase, no man knows, knows the day. See, the Lord spent a couple chapters telling him what the end is going to be like and what's going to happen. And then he goes, of that day, no man knows the day or the hour, not even the Father. What that is most likely, because every parable Jesus spoke comes out of the Old Testament. All his idioms, his phraseology, all the things that he's, they, they come from the Old Testament. That is a reference to trumpets. The appointment of trumpets was the day that no one knew the day or the hour. That's what he's saying. He says, I don't know when, but it's going to start on trumpets. Well, that's just the opposite, Frank, of what I think it says. That's what you guys need to take a look at. Because literally, the, they had two witnesses that were appointed by the uh, government or the Sanhedrin, whoever it was, in conjunction with working with the high priest. They were two witnesses that had to witness the new moon so that they could start their counting, especially like in the seventh month. They had to do Passover on the 14th day of Nisan, but they didn't, when did the month start? Well, it starts after the last month. Well, their month started at the new moon. They did all their counting with the new moon. You know how many, how many days the moon is dark every month? Every month. So they didn't have astronomers with big telescopes. And they didn't know the, the uh, retrograde and orbits. They didn't know all that. There's actually one and a half to three and a half days the moon is totally dark. And it is different from month to month. And then the circumference of the earth, when they were in Babylon, there was a difference of when the new month started. So they literally had to have these witnesses declare, and they saw the silver edge of the point of the crescent moon, to determine the first day of the month. It's the only festival that is on the first day of the month. All the other appointments are in the middle of the month. So they have, to, they have to count. So you have three days, one and a half to three days of darkness. Well, this month, is it going to be two days? Is it going to be one and a half days? Or is it going to be three days this month? So the month did not start literally on the Hebrew calendar until they saw the new moon. So you guys following that whole thing? I know that's a total probably about face, but so just check it out, take it, look. The scripture says there's nothing that, that I don't do that I don't first reveal it to my servants, the prophets. 
The idea that what God is doing in the earth is to be vague, and we just kind of, well, whenever. No, God wants us to know him, and he wants us to know what he's about, what he's about to do. And so we are those that stand up and say, when it happens, this is that. So this slick willy, fast talker, we have a world event, say, the battle in Israel. Israel is just about to get wiped out. And then, turn of events. Magog is destroyed. And like, everybody turns their back, just like in 67. Oops, Israel survived. Nobody saw that coming. Israel's in a position to rule the world. Well, then this slick Billy comes along, and he's most likely going to be Arabic. I know, that's probably racist. But Islam is an interesting religion. Um, and he's going to say, talk really, really well. And he's going to talk so well that the Jews are going to go, oh, because they're tired of fighting. Everybody's tired of fighting. Peace on earth, when they say peace and safety. And this guy will be almost miraculous. But he'll be a political leader. Most likely he'll be the caliph for the standing caliphate of the Muslim religion. And he'll say, oh, can't we just all get along? And he'll talk like that. Like Now, to those that are watching, they're going to say, no, this guy is not a nice guy. This is the man of perdition. I don't think these things are going to be, we're not going to know. We're going to know. Just like Peter stood up and said, this is that which the prophets spoke. We're going to know these things. And not only that, the Holy Spirit will teach us and lead us into all truth. We'll be on an accelerated learning program. Something will be wrong in the earth. and We may have never studied eschatology. We may have never looked into it. But something is, we're going to go, something just doesn't agree with my spirit. And we start looking in the word and it's going to go, oh boy. And then we say, this is that. We still are the calm in the storm. We still are the messengers of peace, messengers of hope, messengers of... But life begins to be a little more critical. And eternity begins to be a little more critical. So, is that a new concept? Anybody heard that before? The day of... No man knows the day or the hour. It's actually... He's actually telling us that it has to do with the Feast of Trumpets. That's, it's an idiom. It's a, actually a Jewish metaphor. Like, I saw you under the fig tree. That's a metaphor. Anyway, so look into it. You know, Frank, you're all, you're full of it, you know. Sure. So you got a week to think about it and look into it. Um, my point is that God does not want us to be ignorant. He wants us to know what he's doing. Why does he want us to know what he's doing? Because he likes us. And he gives us inside information so that if possible, we can persuade others in this inside information. Say, yeah, this is going to happen. That's not so cool. But you know what? This is happening at the same time that's really cool. And we could like live forever. And are you like tired of your body that gets tired at the end of the day? You know, pretty soon we're going to get a new one. And it'll be smarter. 
it'll remember thing. It'll be better looking, and it won't be chubby. <laughs> okay. To me, this is good news. So I hope that, uh, you know, don't take my word for it. You know, I'm going to do the checklist. Don't take my word for it. But do check it out. Don't just say, oh, you're full of it, Frank. Check it out and give me a reason as to why you think I'm full of it. Okay? Father, we just thank you for this day. Thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for that time of praise. And thank you for your word. We just thank you, Jesus. Just thank you, Lord. In your name, amen.